Jeff asked the question at the beginning of the service, do you have, do you have any nicknames for your kids? Names mean something. Uh, all summer long, our grade school students have been studying the names of God, uh, most of them out of the Old Testament. In fact, did you do all out of the Old Testament or did you do any New Testament ones? Were they all? Okay, okay. So we had one in the New Testament. What you see here, this collage, a uh, little mosaic here in front, is representative of all the different names that they learned, and then the lesson would go along with the name. They would learn something about the character of God, because when you hear God's name, you learn something about his character. So this morning, uh, instead of uh, getting into Romans, we'll jump back into Romans next week. We're going to have them share five of the different names. Each one's going to share one of the names that they learned about God this summer, and that will serve as a bit of an introduction to the sermon where we'll look at those names a little bit more in depth. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys. The microphone should be good to go. Have at it. The first name of God we learned... My name is Nathan, and the first name of God we learned is Elohim. That means God is our strong creator. And he made us all unique. For our picture, we cut out lots of stuff that God created. My name is Adler, and the second one we learned was Yahweh. It means I am, which means self-existent. It means um, he lives by himself. Like we need food, air, and water. And it also means his love never changes for us. My name is Caroline, and the third one we learned was El Shaddai, and that means God Almighty. Our God is all-powerful, and nothing is too hard for him. He parted the Red Sea for the Israelites. Hi, my name is Karis. El Elyon is the Most High. He is above all things. All people in all circumstances. I know I can trust El Elyon. I'm Will Bullman, and I'm going to talk about Rohi. One of the the names of God we learned this summer was Rohi, which means the Lord my shepherd. Because God is our shepherd, that means he protects us and looks after us all of our lives. Just like a little sheep, we can get lost, and we need God to help us find our way. Good job. Thank you very much. Maybe we should give them a pop quiz to see if they can remember everything you just, you just shared with us. Uh, but we do want to take some time this morning to look at uh, the names of God that the students just mentioned for us and introduced uh, to us. If you're a uh, High Higgins family, I'm sorry, I just now saw you. We're glad you're in town. We, we miss you, but we're, we're, we're glad to see you. Sorry. You know, uh, I, Brock's right. You just call out people, embarrass them, you know, just whatever. But it's good to, good to see you guys. I'm part of our family who's down in, uh, down in Branson now that's, that's back for the weekend. I, I assume for the weekend? Good. We're glad you're here. So what's in the name? Uh, my name is Thomas Harold Ricks. A lot of people don't know my middle name. Now you do. Uh, Thomas means twin. I don't have a twin brother or a twin sister, but I, there's not a week of my life that hasn't gone by when somebody wouldn't say to me, you kind of look like my brother. You kind of look like my, my cousin. So maybe I just kind of look like a lot of people. Uh, Harold means mighty fortress. So now I think we're getting a little closer to you know, what I really uh, depict. And uh, why are you all laughing? I don't understand that. Um, and Ricks is an old English name, and a rick of wood is a measurement 
of wood, and so you have kind of the old uh, English woodcutters were known as the Rixes. So I look exactly like a castle built from strong, sturdy timber, right? You're impressed? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but names mean something. Nicknames mean something. You think about your sports team. You think about, you know, the St. Louis Rams. That's a, that's a good, strong name. You know, the Cardinals, the birds on the bat, they really represent something. Maybe, you know, your high school. We now, by the way, McNeils, we have a new pioneer in the NFL. Congratulations on Michael being uh, made the Colts. Colts, that's a good, strong name, right? But some teams, some institutions kind of miss the whole, you know, get the, get the name that intimidates the other guys. You know, get the, get the name that strikes fear. Like, like New York University, they're the, they're the violets. What's up with that? I didn't quite get that. Uh, Santa Barbara, uh, the, um, the banana slugs. I mean, I just, I'm sorry. That's just a bit odd. Now, I, I, didn't think, I didn't know if I could say this in church or not, but I think I can. Brant told me about a baseball team they played this summer, the Chesterfield Snot Otters. The snot otters, I just, again, you know, I'm sorry if that word offends everybody, but you're not going to scare me if that's, the, if that's the name of your team. Um, one of my favorite ones that I came across is a little juco, a little junior college up in northwestern United States. It's the Grays Harbor Junior College, okay? And they, they're from northern Washington, and they play volleyball, baseball, softball, golf, and basketball. So competitive sports, they should have a good, strong name, right? The name of this, their, the name of their mascot is the Grays Harbor Chokers. <laughs> I think about that when you're in a tight game, you're, you're, you're going to win or you're going to lose. Well, if you're the Chokers, who knows? So here's what, here's what the website said about these guys. They aren't named after murderous villains, people who cave in under pressure, or the tacky necklaces popular in the 1990s. I forgot about the Chokers, right? A choker is a cable wrapped around a log to make it easier for a logger to transport. Grays Harbor in the prime northwestern logging territory. So to the students, they find that the name is completely sensible, so they chose to name their mascot a burly, bare-chested man holding a chain, Charlie the Choker. So if you ever play juco ball against the Chokers, I think you got a good chance of winning, pulling it out in the last minute. But when you hear a name, it, it makes you think of something. It, it, it could be a positive, could be a negative, but there's something about names uh, that speak uh, about character, about who people are, about what the, an institution is like. And our, and our children here at Green Tree all summer have been studying the names of God. Now, there, there are multiple names in Scripture for God, and they've looked at a few of them. We're, we're not going to begin to cover all of those names this morning, but all of God's names uh, remind us about his character and point to his character. So as they were wrapping up their summer series, I thought it would be good for us just to spend one Sunday morning looking at just these five names, not all of them, and just a brief observation about each one. As I was studying this week, the thing that really hit me was there were one or two names that really spoke to where I am in life right now, circumstances with which I've been dealing, situations in which I've been involved. And as I, as I was studying these names, I was reminded again, about God's faithfulness. I was reminded again about, uh, about his power. I was reminded again that I could trust him. And so this just isn't an intellectual exercise. Now we can, you know, say some Hebrew words and we, we can call God by those names that you find in the Old Testament. 
I think there's a very practical application for you and for me. So as we go through these names, think about those things that are weighing in on you, those things that may be a bit stressful in your life, the the challenges that, that you're facing, whether internally or externally, and how God's name may speak something to you this morning, maybe in a way of encouragement, maybe in a way of strengthening, maybe in a way of correction that allows you to remember a bit about who he is. So as we jump into this, let's spend a moment in prayer asking for God to speak directly to us this morning. Father, we thank you for the names that you have given us in your word because they speak to your character. They help us to understand in our finite minds and our limited ability uh, your awesomeness and your beauty and your glory. Lord, you have spoken to us uh, through your son, Jesus Christ, and his name means Savior, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, it tells us that you want to engage with us. You don't want to stand at a distance. You don't want to condemn us. You want to redeem us. Your name tells us about your heart and about your character. And so, Lord, as we look at these names this morning, as we look at these scripture verses that contain your names, Lord, I pray that we would uh, not just do this as an intellectual exercise. We wouldn't do this in a vacuum, but rather, Lord, that we would see the application for our lives. Lord, some of us are here this morning. We're incredibly discouraged. Some of us are here this morning, we're not even sure if if you uh, exist, much less whether or not you would love us and care for us. Lord, some of us are here this morning, having ignored you, we're supremely self-confident and we're just kind of going through the motions. Lord, some of us are here as people who have, have been disciples of Jesus for years and years and years and others of us are just beginning to consider the claims of Christ. Lord, a lot of us in between those someplace. But each one of us needs to know you. So I pray that as we study these passages this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, that we wouldn't be here to hear man's words, that we wouldn't be here to just go through the motions of what we're supposed to do, but rather, Lord, that we would sit at your feet. Father, you know my sin. I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would wash me in the blood of Jesus, that I would not stand in the way of what you want us to know this morning, that you would come and teach us your truth. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first name, as we, uh, we learned from our students up front, is uh, Elohim, the strong creator. And in Genesis 1.1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, we did a sermon series on the book of Genesis a couple of years ago, and you could actually go back and listen to the sermon on that, that very first verse. But this is the, the very first introduction God gives us. If you pick up the Bible and you, and you open up to the very first page, the first thing you read is God, the strong creator. Now, the way in which we choose to introduce ourselves says something about who we are. If I say to you, I'm Tom Ricks, I'm the pastor of Green Tree Community Church, that tells you something about me. If I say I'm Tom Ricks, married to, uh, to Cindy Ricks, uh, that tells you something about me. If I say I'm Tom Ricks, I'm the father of Nathan and Katie and Jordan, that tells you something about me. The way we choose to introduce ourselves in that first impression says something about what we want to communicate to other people. And God wanted to make it very clear from the beginning, his very first introduction When he says, hello, I'm the Lord, the strong creator, what does that tell us about him? How does that help us understand him? Well, the first thing it says is, you're not here by chance. 
There's actually a plan in place for your life. That God is the one who is the strong creator. He is the one who put all of this in motion. You're not a result of a happenstance connection between some cells four billion years ago. You are a person in the mind of God from eternity to past to eternity future. That God is the creator. That there is, there is not uh, an a outside chance of things happening, but rather there is a divine plan. It also tells us that we're not alone tells us that there is a spiritual essence to our existence that is here outside of who we are. God is not, I'm not my own God, but there is a God. There is someone who is above all of this. I'm not alone, nor am I in the midst of chaos, which at times it feels like chaos. Brock said, you know, the, the first day after the tornado was just, it literally was sheer chaos. And sometimes you look at the world and go, everything's out of control. No, God says, remember my first name. I am the strong creator, and I have set my laws in motion, and they govern the universe, and they will continue to govern the universe because I am the one who has put everything in place. You look at the, the creativity in your own life. You know, what is it that, that you really enjoy doing? Maybe you love to garden. Uh, maybe you're, you know, you're great at decorating uh, a house and you know how to put things together. Maybe you're, you're wonderful with numbers and you just see numbers very clearly in a way that other people don't. Maybe you're very athletic on one level or another. Remember that, that great scene in Chariots of Fire where Eric Little says, you know, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And he says, I just enjoy running. I'm fast and God's made me that way. And, and, I, and I love God in uh, his creativity in doing that. I was never fast, so I couldn't relate to that. My Coaches, you say my slowness was deceptive, but, um, but there's something in each of us that there's a creative element in each of us. You should celebrate that. that. That's part of your worship to God. If you're a great runner, when you got and run, you're worshiping God when you run. Why? Because he created you that way. He created you with that in mind. You think, well, I go do my religious stuff, and then I go do my, you know, kind of the, the, the sacred and the, and the secular, and then I go do my secular stuff. No. God is the Lord creator over all of it, and all of our lives are, are lived in, in worship to him. The second name he gives is in Exodus chapter 3 when he's talking to Moses, and Moses, he said, I want you to go down to Egypt. I've heard the cry of my people. I want to set them free. And Moses says, okay, got it. Well, who should I say has sent me? And God answers Moses, and he says, I am who I am, Yahweh, the unchanging and self-existent God. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, the unchangeable and self-existent God. This name speaks of the stability of our God. It speaks of his consistent and trustworthy nature. What was true about God in Moses' day was true about God in Isaiah's day, and it was true about God in Paul's day, and it's true about God today. God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when he introduces himself to us as I am, we know that we can take him at his word. We know that we can trust him. We know that God does not ebb and flow, that that he isn't in a good mood one day and in a bad mood the next day, and that impacts the way he deals with you and with me. Uh, Cindy will tell you that, that when I get home sometimes after a tough day, I'm pretty moody. And I can take some things out on her, and that's not fair to her, and I shouldn't be that way, and I, and I need to deal with that. But God never has a moody experience where he looks at you and goes, I'm really kind of ticked off right now, so I'm going to take it out on so-and-so. God is, I am. He is perfect 
in his existence. He is complete. He is unchanging. And we never have to worry about whether or not what he has said is true for us. When God says, I sent my son to die on the cross for you, you can take that to the bank. When God says, if you don't put your faith in Christ, you're going to be separated from me for all of eternity. I don't want that for you. I want to redeem you. But if you reject me, you'll have to live with that for all of eternity. You can take that to the bank. God speaks truth into our lives, and it does not change. It also means that, that we do not define God for ourselves. God has said who he is, and we must engage with him at that level. Uh, I, I, was, I heard a story this week about someone who was going to see a, a spiritual advisor, and part of the spiritual advisor's job was to help this person create the God that would be comfortable for them. <laughs> Friends, Yahweh does not allow for you and me to define him. He speaks to us clearly and truthfully about who he is, and we can trust that truth. I am that I am. I'm going to put the third and fourth names together because uh, I think they're, they're somewhat interchangeable and they're, they're somewhat synonymous. The first one is El Shaddai. And when God introduces himself to Abram, who would later become Abraham, uh, the father of the, the Jewish nation and the, father, uh, uh, the forefather of the Lord Jesus, says that when God appeared to Abram when he was 99 years old, he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, before we go on to the next one, why is it important that Abraham understand that God is almighty, that he has all the power, that he is the one who's in control? Because he was 99 years old, and one of the next things God was going to say to him is, you're going to have a child. (laughs) And your wife's 99 years old, and you you are going to conceive, and, and you're going to have a child. God better be almighty, or that is not going to happen. But immediately off the bat, he was saying to Abraham, I'm the one who has the strength and has the power. Very similar to that, uh, later on in Genesis, and, and, uh, or actually a little before that, uh, in chapter 14, when, when Abraham is uh, coming back from a battle he has just fought, and he meets this king, Melchizedek, and they, they, they're having a meal together, and Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and he says, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. This God most high, there is no greater power. He is almighty and he is most high. There is no higher court. His word is the final authority for our lives. And when God speaks, we can trust that he will not change, that he is above everything. He is the possessor of heaven and earth and he is working all things out for his glory. One of the things that I noticed that, that as Christians, a lot of times, you and I struggle with, with doubt and with shame and with fear. Um, there, there are oftentimes when I'm talking to somebody who's really struggling, they're like, I just don't see how God can love me given where I am right now. The, the decisions I've made, the behavior in which I've been involved in, I just can't imagine that, that God wants to have anything at all to do with me. We need to remember in those moments that the God who is almighty that the God who is most high has rendered the verdict. He did it at the cross of Christ. Jesus either paid for all of your sins or he paid for none of your sins. There's no in-between. Either you're redeemed and forgiven through the blood of Christ on the cross or you're not. Either I'm saved for all of eternity because Jesus took my place and paid the penalty for all of my sins or he paid for none of them and I'm still hopelessly lost. 
But friends, because God is almighty, Jesus had the power to pay for your sins and my sins. And God is the God above all heaven and above all earth. He is the most high and he alone has the right to say forgiven. And when God says forgiven, when God says you're justified in Christ, that that stain has been taken away, you are now redeemed and purchased by Christ, it is done. It's finished. No one else needs to say that. And when you hear those lies whispered into your ear, you're you're not good enough. You ought to be ashamed. You ought to live in fear of God in, in a wrong way, in an unhealthy way. You need to understand that that's coming from your enemy. Because God, who is the only one who can proclaim you innocent and has the authority to make that happen through Jesus, has done so if your faith is in Christ. And we need to learn to trust God, who is almighty and is all high. It also means that he's the only one to whom we owe our allegiance and our worship. He alone is worthy of our worship. We sing that, that song at times. He alone is worthy of worship. He alone is worthy of our praise. And I get mixed up a lot, and I worship a lot of other things. I can worship my kids. I can worship my reputation. I can, I can worship, uh, you know, my little, you know, we got this little Kirkwood cult where we all, all drink the red and white Kool-Aid. You know, I can get a little carried away with that from time to time as well. There are a lot of things I'm tempted to worship, but God is the only one who deserves my worship. He's the only one that ultimately is worthy of my worship because he is most high. And then one other name that, that uh, the kids studied this summer and that uh, um, Will mentioned to us a little bit earlier, Rohi or Rohai, the Lord my shepherd, and this comes straight out of the 23rd Psalm, which probably the vast majority of you may know by heart. The Lord, he is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he goes on to talk about what a shepherd does. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And it goes on and on. Now, we could spend 10 Sundays on uh, all of the things that are in this psalm and, and, and all the different metaphors that are, that are painted so beautifully here by David and the psalmist. But at least for this morning, uh, let's, let's just talk about a couple things. First of all, the shepherd is a strong one. The shepherd is the one who, who lives out in the field. He, he takes his, his occupation is to take the sheep and to make sure they're watered and fed and cared for. It doesn't matter if it's freezing and it doesn't matter if it's 110 degrees. The shepherd is going to be out in the elements protecting and caring for and leading his sheep. He's a tough guy. He knows what it's like to, to go through a snowstorm. He knows what it's like to be outside when, when you can't hardly find any water and it's just you know terribly hot. I had a, a, a hot water heater uh, was messing up at our house the last week or two, so we called a guy to come over and look at it, and there was a little, when he, he, he fixed it in about 15 minutes, and he took this little wire out that it kind of burned out, and he said, if you take this out, it'll work fine, and, and, he, and it was great. He did it in 15 minutes, and, and, and it was a little piece like that didn't even have a replacement piece and only charged me $125, so that was really a great deal. Um, I'm glad some of you are laughing. Uh, but uh, he, he got there about 1 in the afternoon, and he came, and Friday, it was like 102 or 103, something like that. And he comes in, and, and I said, well, boy, I'm glad, you know, glad you're here. Come on. He goes, yeah, I'm glad to be here too. I just got done with a job up on a roof. He was working in an air conditioning unit on, on a roof at 102 degree temperature. You know what? It takes a tough guy to go do that. The shepherd, the elements don't mean anything to him. The sheep are his primary care. Our God is a strong mighty God. He's also focused on the care of the sheep. That is his chief concern. 
And so he defends the sheep when they need defending. He leads the sheep when they need leading. He, he, he calls them till they know him by name. He is intimately involved with the sheep. You remember when David comes to, uh, to the army camp of the Israelites and there's Goliath standing out there, you know, screaming profanity at the armies of Israel. And David's like, what is up with this? Would somebody go put a rock in this guy's head and let's get on with it? Right? He's not impressed with Goliath. Well, you know, remember what he says? He says, I'm a shepherd. I live outside all the time. I take care of the family sheep. You know, the bear comes and he's dragging off one of the, one of the sheep. I kill the bear. And another time there was a lion that had a, a little sheep clutching in his jaws. You know what? I, I did the lion in. So who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Can we move on with it? Why? Because the shepherd knew that he could fight to protect his sheep. And he knew that God was a shepherd and he would do the same. Do we have that understanding of God, Rohi, the shepherd who allows us to be cared for personally by our Lord. And he trains us to follow him. That, that, the part that, that's uh, not in here is the rod and his staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are the correcting tool that the shepherd uses. There are times when the shepherd has to use some force with the sheep and he has to help them understand that they're only going to be safe when they follow him. And that's crucial for us because there are times when we get in difficult circumstances when maybe God is doing a corrective work in our life. He's doing something that's pretty difficult and we're like, well, God, where are you? Why am I going through this hard time? And we're actually going through the hard time because the shepherd is offering his correction. Maybe we've been going this way and he says, no, 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 we're going to go this way. Trust me, I'm here for your life. I'm here for your safety. I'm here for your good. It's in those moments of, of deep difficulty where our hearts are tuned again to reflect on our shepherd's care. Our son, youngest son, Jordan, uh, we didn't talk about this a whole lot before he went back to school, but his roommate from last year and his defensive partner uh, from the hockey team, which he plays at the University of Alabama, uh, was found in his bed dead. He had a brain aneurysm and died in his sleep. And that was devastating for Jordan. I, you know, I hardly ever see, I'm the one that cries a lot in our family. I hardly ever see my kids cry. And Jordan just, you know, he was just heartbroken over the situation. And as we were driving back down to school, I said, you know, how's this impacted you? And, and we talked a little bit about it. And one of the things he said was, you know, I, I, I need to spend more time in Christian fellowship. And I, I need to be thinking about that. And, and it, I, you don't want this to happen to anybody. But the facts are that, that God can take even a devastating circumstance. You, know, you're, you heard the stories that Brock shared this morning about people that didn't know Christ and, and, and everything in their physical world falls apart. And now they're redeemed for all of eternity. Would you really want to trade those two? I mean, I don't want anybody to be homeless either, but, but, but if it means your soul, and there are times when the shepherd says, I'm, I'm going to do some correction. And it may not be the most pleasant thing, but it will be the very best for you. God is our shepherd. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't hurt us. He doesn't harm us because he's angry. He cares for us because he loves us. I actually read that, and I'm not going to read this whole thing. I, I've gone over. We need to... We need to um, wrap up. But I read this newspaper article this week. I couldn't believe it because sometimes people think, okay, Jesus is going to correct me. He's going to discipline me. He's going to punish me. No, he's not here to hurt us. Even though at times our discipleship may be painful, but his motives are pure. So I've I've got the opposite example of this. This this is off the AP network. It was a pleasant afternoon aboard a sightseeing cruise around a scenic Newport Harbor out in California when the unthinkable happened. A man threw his crying seven-year-old overboard during an argument in front of a shocked passengers. Think about this. This gets mad at his kid and he throws him into the water. Now, the child, was they could pull him out. He was safe. I forgot to say that in the first service. And like 80 people came up to me and said, what happened to the kid? Child is fine. 
But they go on to tell a story. The father hit him and then threatened to throw him overboard if he didn't stop crying. So you do the thing that makes your child cry, then you tell your child to stop crying, and then when they can't stop crying, you say, well, I'm just going to throw you in the ocean. This is a wonderful family. How do, I, how, do I, how do I get to be part of this? Then it says the crowd in the boat became angry for the father when he was hitting the kid and extremely angry when he threw him overboard. Well, that's good. <laughs> Somebody got mad at this. I mean, you're like, truth is stranger than fiction. And it goes on to say that someone overheard him saying that the boy needed to be toughened up and if he really wanted something to cry about, he'd give him something to cry about. I'm sorry, that's sick. That's beyond sick. But you know what? There are a lot of people, of Christians, that think that perhaps that's how God thinks about them sometimes. You want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. And that God is punitive. And that God is, is a risky calculation because you're never quite sure how he's going to react. Friends, there are moments when God is going to correct us. There's moments when the shepherd's rod sometimes hurts. But it's not because God wants to do us in. It's because he wants to redeem us. It's because his name is Rohi. And his primary concern is the nurture of your soul and the strengthening of your faith. So what's in a name? Well, if you're Thomas Harold Ricks, apparently not a whole lot. (laughs) But if your name is God the creator, God almighty, God, the shepherd, God, the most high. It means everything to folks like you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the names that you identify in your word that describe you to us. Father, we thank you that you, you put it in terms that we can understand Father, we thank you that, that your names tell us about your character and it is, a, it is a holy and perfect and glorious character. You love your children and your words speak to your all-powerful ability not only to create but to provide salvation and to see us home. So Lord, this morning, wherever we are in our journey, perhaps we need to be reminded that you are the most high one and that we've been casual and, and, and less than, than appropriate in our worship. Maybe we need to be corrected in that. Lord, whether we need to be reminded that you are, I am the, the one who does not change because the circumstances around us seem chaotic at this particular moment. Lord, whatever we brought in this morning, whatever we carried in the doors, we pray that what we would carry out is the reminder from your word that you are the strong creator the unchangeable, most high, almighty God who shepherds and loves and cares for your children. And may we take rest and encouragement and strength from that as we go into the world this week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.